Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillah wassalatu wassalamu ala Rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. Allahumma salli ala sayyidina Muhammadin tibbil qulubi wa dawa'iha wa afiyatil abdani wa shifaiha wa nuril absari wa diya'iha wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallim taslima. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept from us this coming live stream and uh, what we're about to read in it from the biography of the great Hassan al-Basri, one of the greatest scholars that our ummah has ever seen from the tabi'een. And he was somebody, why we say very clearly that he was one of the greatest scholars? Simple reason. The Sahaba themselves were impressed with him. The kibar of the Sahaba, major, major Sahaba, were all impressed with the Hassan al-Basri. Amongst them, as Sayyid Aisha, when Hassan al-Basri was, grew up and was a speaker and was speaking to the people, Sayyid Aisha herself said, Man Who is this person who speaks with the words of the Siddiqeen? All right, Siddiq is like the highest level of, of, of piety and, and wilaya and knowledge. Okay, Anas ibn Malik said about al-Hassan al-Basri, he said, when people started asking him questions and he became older, he said, go to Hassan for, he has he remembers everything. He's young and remembers, and we've gotten old and we've forgotten. Okay. So if the Sahaba, the Kibar Sahaba, endorsed this man, we know that his maqam and his rank is something special. It's something else completely. Uh, another thing that used to happen, his mother, Hassan al-Basri's mom, used to take him, and this is something that people should do. She used to take him around to the Sahaba and say, pray for my son. Make dua for them. Amongst them was Umar ibn Khattab. And he said, Allahumma faqihu fi deen wa habib ilayhi nas. Okay. Make him a faqih. Oh Allah, give him knowledge and make the people love him. Okay. Have, uh, make the people love him so that they could go and take habibhu ilayhi nas. Make him beloved to the people so they could take knowledge from him. So that's Hassan al-Basri, and that's who we're going to talk about today. And he has a lot of amazing stories. So uh, Hassan al-Basri, Imam al-Ghazali said about him, his, his speech was the closest to the speech of the prophets. His way, everything about him was in imitation of the ways of prophets. And his hadi, his guidance, his, his way was just like the Sahaba. How could it be otherwise when he was raised by the Sahaba? He met some of the greatest of Sahaba. He spent a lot of time with Jabir ibn Abdullah, Anas ibn Malik, okay. Ali ibn Abi Talib, many, many, Hassan and Hussein, many, many Sahaba did he spend time with. He was literally raised by them. His father was, was one of the non-Muslims who were captured during the battles of the Sahaba. And then he became a Muslim. And then he became a servant and he was assigned to Zayd bin Thabit, the scribe of the Prophet the famous scribe who was involved in all the compilations of the Qur'an. The Qur'an was compiled, of course, two times, and it was written five times. So it was compiled once, and he was, Zayd bin Thabit was in charge of that, for he was this, the Prophet's number one scribe of the Qur'an. And then in the time of Abu Bakr, he was in charge of gathering it. In the time of Sayyidina Uthman ibn Affan, Zayd bin Thabit was in charge of writing down the uh, uh the quran literally having the quran written okay uh with the spelling of quraish him and four other members of quraish they literally wrote the quran cover to cover and they made 
uh, four or five copies of the Quran. All right. So his father was the servant of Zayd bin Thabit. Now his mother. So you see that the, the poor Muslims who love knowledge, Allah always takes from their from their offspring and elevates their offspring. There's a famous hadith the Prophet is attributed to the Prophet some attributed to other than the messenger that it says be one of four and not the fifth. Be a scholar, be learned, kun aliman, or someone who's studying. Right? Either someone who's learning, or a scholar or someone who studies. Or or serve the scholars. There's always people who who are serving. They, they may not be students. They may not be scholars, but they're like the admins, the volunteers, the behind the scenes, like the clock, the, well, the working of the clock behind the scenes. They make everything move. Or or be someone who loves them. So his mother and his father, they, they were they were masakin. They were poor. They worked in the service business. They were just servants of the Sahaba, but they loved knowledge and they believed and his mother used to take him around and she took him to Umar ibn Khattab and Umar ibn Khattab made dua for him. And Umm Salama was her employer. Who is Umm Salama? Wife of the Prophet, peace be upon him. So her employer was the wife of the messenger. And then he was born on the eighth year of Sayyidina Umar's Khilafah. So he was born 10 years after the passing of the messenger. She gave Her name was Khaira. This woman's name was Khaira. Yeah. She gave birth to him, and at that time, she was working for Umm Salama. And she was too busy. They were very poor. So she would leave okay, uh, Hassan with Umm Salama. And it is said that Umm Salama would, would nurse him or even like busy, busy him, right? And I don't know if, uh, how she would nurse him because she didn't have children, but that she would just like breastfeed as if he was eating, right? And he would suckle, she would suckle him at her at her breast. And sometimes some said that there was milk there, and some said no, she he was just that she would just rock him to sleep and he would just suckle suck on her breast as a as a baby. And we, we know that in the Sharia a person could do this up to two years old. Okay. And so they say that the barakah of his knowledge is what he took from the association of Umm Salama and the dua of Amr ibn Khattab and the companionship, and that the younger sahaba were like his older brothers. So he was completely born. He's from the senior of the Tabi'een, and Umar ibn Abdul Aziz named him the chief of the Tabi'een. And that there was only one time they said that there was only one person that of the Tabi'een. Tabi'een, remember, is second generation Muslim. They didn't meet the Prophet, but they met the companions. They said that there's only one person that he would ask knowledge from, and that was Sayyid ibn Musayyib. Beyond that, when they asked him a question, yeah, he may ask the companion, but he never had a need for any second generation Muslim, any tabi. So he would only ask, the only time that they saw him asking another Muslim, uh, a tabi, was Sayyid ibn Musayyib. All right. That shows you the rank of Sayyid Musayyib and Hassan al-Basri. Ibn Sirin, one time, he, ha he had, his, his peer at that time was Ibn Sirin. So they, they met, and when Hassan al-Basri was beginning in his path, he had a vision, and he had a dream. And this dream upset him badly because he, from what he knew of, of dreams, it was not good. And it, he saw himself naked on top of a garbage heap, striking the garbage heap with a stick. He was upset because clothes is mentioned as libasu uh, taqwa is a symbol of taqwa in a dream. It's a symbol of protection 
of your aura. Aura is your nakedness is like symbolic of your bad deeds. It, it covers your bad, your flaws and it's taqwa. And the clothes at the time of the Prophet ﷺ was interpreted as, as deen, strong deen. Like Omar said, Sayyidina Omar said, I had a dream of myself dragging my thobe. Okay. And, uh, and he was concerned because we know that we're not supposed to drag our thobe. And the Prophet ﷺ said, Omar, that is deen. Okay. Deen. So to be naked, he was really upset. Okay. And so he sent somebody and he was embarrassed to go to Ibn Sirin. The people said, Ibn Sirin is the best dream interpreter. He said, okay, you go to Ibn Sirin and tell him that you had the dream. Okay. Now that always doesn't get you the best result because sometimes dream interpretation is based on the person who saw it and their circumstances. So that one came in and Ibn Sirin sort of brushed it aside. He said, what did he say? He said, uh, he brushed it aside. He said, okay, we have to go ourselves. So he, he went, okay. Then when he put two and two together that I brushed away the dream, then Hassan Basri, he said, oh, this dream is for Hassan Basri. And he said, this is your dream. And, it, and, the, and, the, and the garbage heap is the dunya. And, not, and the clothes in this dream does not mean taqwa and deen. It means dunya. So you are free from the dunya and you are on top of the dunya, meaning that you're, you're in domination of your desire for dunya. The desire for dunya has no grip. So you're being on top of the garbage heap means that you're in domination of your desire for dunya and you're striking it is wisdom that you give to people about zuhud. Right, wisdom that you give to people about um, going without the dunya, and from the sayings of Hassan al Basri, is the happy the happiest you can be is when you disrespect the dunya, which doesn't mean like you throw money or something like that. It means that you don't allow this dunya to control you, right? You don't allow it to affect your moods. Al Hajjaj, he lived in the time mostly it was the Umayyad dynasty, but he did live in the time of uh, of um, of the Abbasids. When the, when the Abbasids took over, uh, before the Abbasids took over, the Umayyads utilized um, Hajjaj ibn Yusuf. They utilized Hajjaj ibn Yusuf. He was from Thaqif, which is the, the Ta'if. He was originally from Ta'if, which is a city above Mecca. And he was one of those, he was just ruthless. He was a ruthless leader that nobody could ever talk to. So when he took over uh, the area, Iraq, he built a palace for himself. And then when the palace was done, he gathered the whole city and he wanted the, the people to see his might. And the people were just walking around the palace looking how amazing this palace was. Hassan al-Basri saw this and he said, this, this, some, this is something that we must speak at this time. So he went and he got up on something and he started giving people a speech about the zuhd in the dunya and the worthlessness of this world. Stop being so impressed with these palaces. Then Hajjaj ibn Yusuf, he saw this and he went, he lost it. He lost it. And he said, none of you answered him. None of you stopped him. They said, it's Hassan al-Basri. At this time, he was a senior, right? Hassan al-Basri, how, how, what are we going to say to him? Okay. Who's, who's going to talk to Hassan al-Basri? So he said, you're all cowards. I'm going to feed you his blood. I'm going to force feed you his blood right now. So he sat in his diwan. The diwan is like the sitting area of the king. And he said, bring me this man. So they brought him. They brought him and they said, be careful. He is fuming. 
and he said, and, and get the swordsman ready because we're going to slice his neck. So they, they brought him and they brought, okay, they saw him just whispering, Dhikr, the whole, the whole time. Nobody could see what he was saying, but his head was down and he was just making dua the entire time. Okay. He says, Subhanallah. And there is a, the, the, the worker of uh, Hajjaj's uh, guards were all around him with the swords. Okay. As soon as they saw him, he, as soon as he entered, Hajjaj ibn Yusuf got up. They saw Hajjaj's face was completely bright with happiness. And he moved and he says, come sit right next to me. Come sit right next to me. Everyone would go shocked. And he honored him and he welcomed him. Okay. And then he says, he says here, and he starts saying, he sat him down. He started putting forth all the questions that he had in terms of his ruling because he need he had questions related to you know what should we do about this that and the other and now hassan is answering him back and after this he said you are the chief of all the scholars here then he, he he brought his he brought his secretary of the treasury and he said go get the best thebe that we have the which is like the incense and he bought it and he packed it up and he gave it to Hassan al Basri as a gift and then he walked him to the door. He's then the, the main man the main like the prime minister you could say or the minister of or the chief guard of Al Hajjaj. He said, after they were walking out, he said, what did you say? He called you here to do something else. And I saw you whispering something, okay? And by Allah, the swords were ready to cut your neck. So what were you saying? So Hassan al-Basri started, he laughed. He says, لَقَدْ قُلْتْ يَا وَلِيِّ نِعْمَتِي يَا مَلَاذِ عِنْدَ كُرْبَتِي he said, oh, protector of my blessing, which is like my life, and my protector at every trial and tribulation, make his anger, Hajjaj's anger, cool and peaceful in the same way that you made the fire of Ibrahim cool and peaceful. So you see, even the highest level of the governments at that time, they were seeing these karamats with their own two eyes. That's why they had taqwa. I mean, you can't at that point go against that. You can't basically deny the truth of dhikr, truth and the power of deen. When you, the, you see it right in front of your face like that. And so that was the, from the height of Hassan al-Basri that he was one of the only people that was able to stand up to Hajjaj bin Yusuf. He, Hajjaj bin Yusuf killed so many people ruthlessly he was the only one that was able to stand up to him and speak. And literally his heart changed. Hajjaj ibn Yusuf never gave Hassan al-Basri a problem ever, ever again. Okay. And from the uh, upbringing of al-Hassan al-Basri is that as soon as he grew up, 
he started studying with the Sahaba and joining them wherever they joined. And he traveled with the army. He did, he did jihad. He fought. And where did he fight? Khurasan, far away. And he spent a lot of time in Kabul. So if you're Afghani out there, all right, you're going to be happy because he spent a lot of time in the city of Kabul. The city of Kabul, subhanAllah, this is an ancient Islamic city. This is not some city that was uh, conquered way later. This is the first generation. They had Sahaba there. They had Tabi'in there. Okay. And he spent a lot of time in the city of Kabul. When he came back, he decided to settle in the city of Basra. And that's where he got his name, Al-Hassan Al-Basri. Okay. His chief disciple was Malik ibn Dinar. And Malik ibn Dinar was the famous soldier. He's got one of the most amazing stories. He was just a, he was just an officer. He was a low-level officer of the Umayyads, and he was uh, somebody who was drinking. He was not doing anything good with his life, and that nobody would marry him. Right? No, no fam, no father-in-laws would ever accept him. And so he finally had to take a prostitute and, and marry her, and he did. And in the marriage, he was just like a married man, but, you know, still not praying, drinking. And then he had a daughter. And he loved this daughter so much. Then she died at a young age, about five, six, seven years old, like when she could talk. And she died. He said, I became so angry that day that I decided I'm going to get more drunk than I've ever gotten before. And he got so drunk that night that he was in a stupor and he knocked out there he had a dream of the qiyamah that he was resurrected and that a beast the size uh, the, the the body of a bear but the size of a wolf uh sorry the, the the shape of a wolf but the size of a bear could you imagine a wolf right running on four legs but the size of a bear and he said and i was a small men running away from this vicious vicious wolf and this wolf is just right its mouth is like right about to get me and i see an old man and i i begged the old man for help the old man said look at me i'm a frail old male what can i do for you and i ran running for my life from this wolf and i see another old man and i beg him and he said nothing i can do for you and then finally i hear my daughter's voice I hear her voice. She's saying, Father, come here, come here. And I look and I see my daughter at a house and she opens a door and I run into the door and she closes the door and I'm safe. And she turns to me and she says, Father, isn't it time for the believers, for their hearts, to soften to the awe of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So your, your heart should soften with awe to what Allah has revealed. And then he woke up. He woke up. That wolf was his bad deeds. That old man was his good deeds. So immediately he was woke up in a complete sweat he ran, made ghusl, made wudu, ran to the masjid. He was the first one in the masjid that day for Fajr. He gets in and prays with everybody else. He's in the first row. And the imam 
recites Surah Al-Fatiha and then opens the Surah and the first verse that he recites is Alam ya'ni lilladheena amanu an takhsha' qulubuhum li dhikrillahi wa ma nazala min al-haqq Immediately he faints I mean this is not a man who's accustomed to this work with the unseen but he saw it directly from that moment on he began his journey and Malik ibn Dinar began merely as a musalli with Hassan al-Basri musalli just someone who prays five times a day that was a big deal for him just pray five times a day then sit in the gathering then can I get you something he became a khadim he was a servant and then a student and then an assistant and then he became the imam after Hassan al-Basri he became his number two man over a span of years and years and years of studying with Hassan al-Basri and serving him. Okay. Then as Malik ibn Dinar became came of age, you see this is how Allah takes someone's bad deeds and makes them into good deeds. He was known for bringing drunkards off the street and into the masjid. That's how you turn your bad deeds into good deeds, is by the idea and the concept that you use what you understood, what you learned. Okay. Now, despite you shouldn't have done that, but even if you did do that, you did learn something, right? You learn something about the mentality of a drinker, et cetera, et cetera. So he would bring them off and he would have mercy for them and bring them into the masajid and, and make and they would make tawbah with him. Okay. He would make tawbah with them. Hassan al-Basri at that time, him and Sufyan al-Thawri, was younger than him, they would visit Rabi al-Adawiyah and they would exchange wisdom with her, right? And Rabi al-Adawiyah was a woman that was so ascetic she was so zahid that she viewed Hassan al-Basri as a man of dunya and he said that Sufyan and that Hassan al-Basri would leave weeping they would leave their house weeping and her house or, or the visit with her weeping saying we are people of dunya we're people of dunya right that's what they how much uh, that for example one time she said give me a wisdom yeah say something wise he said, whoever knocks on the door of Allah Ta'ala, it will eventually it will, it will open. Whoever keeps whoever persists on knocking on the door of Allah, it will be opened. Meaning in dua, in tawbah, whatever it is that you're seeking. Her answer to him was, and since when is it closed? Right? So they she would always be one one step ahead of them in Zuhud. That's Rabia al adawiyah And then Hassan al-Basri, he has a lot of wisdoms. Omar ibn Abdul Aziz, the great Omar ibn Abdul Aziz, he was a Khalifa, and he would ask him for advice. And I don't know if he was Khalifa at the time. Hassan al-Basri was alive. I think that's after. But during his life, he would ask him for advice. And he gave him a great piece of advice. He says, This is a really great piece of advice. Hassan, he says to him, he says, the one who uh, keeps your company, he's not going to give you good advice. He's not going to be your advisor. And the one who advises you, okay, is not going to keep your company. Which means like, if you have a group of friends and one of your friends goes like, he needs some piece of advice, right? It's awkward for friends to give friends advice, right? It is, it's true. It's awkward for a friend to give another friend a piece of advice. But it's easy for a stranger to give. I mean, if someone comes to me and they're a complete stranger, it's very easy for me to say, look, this is your problem, right? You need to do this, 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 this. I'm never going to see them again, right? It's easy for them to take it too because they don't have to see me again. 
But if you're if you're a companion with people, if you keep the company of people for a long period of time, okay, it's hard for now to keep to give them advice. You you have a different relationship. Giving hard advice is difficult, and that's why if you notice, let's say like if an imam moves into an area, he moves in and it was with dynamite. He's blowing everything up. This is wrong. This is wrong. Yeah, this is wrong. this is haram. Everything's haram because he doesn't know anybody, right? But give it five, six, seven years. Now they're friends. Now they visit. Now they they see each other all the time. He's got to tone it down a little bit because he's got to go. He's got to run the marathon with them, right? He's got to run a marathon with these people, with his community, with his friends. Okay, so his advice to them is going to be extremely slow and gentle, right? Which may or may not be a good thing. So usually you find that. So when some when there's a, a great distance between people. They're, it's easy for them to give bad, uh, hard advice, right? But whenever they're, as soon as they become close together, it's, you can't just give that acid, right? You can't that you you can't just give them that really tough, uh, tough advice anymore. Okay, so that's a great wisdom. Let's see another one of his wisdoms. The happiest you'll ever be is when you put down the dunya, when you reject the dunya. He says that's the happiest you'll be. He's a bit, and then he says an, another uh, amazing piece of advice. He said, "How terrible." Are two friends, the dinar and the dirham, the gold coin and the silver coin. He says, well, why are they bad friends? They only benefit you when you separate from them, right? There's no benefit of money if it's in your pocket. It only benefits you when you spend it. It's extremely wise, right? Sayyidina has another amazing uh, wisdom. He says, knowledge is better than money. You have to protect money, but knowledge protects you. Knowledge benefits you when you acquire it. Money benefits you when you spend it. Right. Be with people however you want to be with people because that's how they're going to be with you. If you're somebody who is always bringing negativity, they're going to bring negativity to you someday. If you're always someone who's uplifting, they're going to uplift you someday. He says, nothing has humiliated the dunya and exposed it for what it is, like death. Okay, so if you have any, ever problems with the dunya, then flee to death, meaning the contemplation of death. All right. A man came and said, Abu Sa'id, that was his, his nickname, his kunya. What is iman? He sabr was samaha. Iman is patience and forgiveness. So explain to me, how are they, is that connected to Iman? Patience on the disobedience of Allah. Oh, here not being forgiveness, meaning um, happiness, like willing, willingly doing it. He says, willingly fulfilling the obligations of Allah. All right. So from the Sahaba that were his teachers, Anas bin Malik was his biggest teacher. Jabir ibn Abdullah was one of his biggest teacher. Okay. Jundu ibn Abdullah, you see his name in the ahadith. All right. Um, as Zubair ibn Awam, he saw him when he was a senior, as, as Zubair was much older than him. Sa'ad, the servant of Abu Bakr Siddiq. Look, look at his link, how close he is. Okay. Abdullah ibn Abbas. He met Umar ibn Khattab as a baby, uh, not, uh, only as a baby, but he did, as a child, was around Uthman ibn Affan. Okay. Ali ibn Abi Talib was in his in his teenage years, he was around Ali and Hassan and Hussein. Ammar ibn Yasar, 
اوكي عمرو بن العاص معاويه ابن ابي سفيان ابو هريره but he it is said that he didn't narrate from ابو هريره and then his mother khaira was also a sahabiya okay one of the things that he did is he never ever went to uh, the civil wars of the muslims he avoided the civil wars between the muslims okay so this is an amazing uh, the amazing life and times of hassan basri now in hadith hassan al-basri is that he has something called marasil al-hassan and marasil al-hassan are viewed by scholars in two different ways what is what is a mursal hadith first of all is when you skip a sahabi when you quote the prophet directly all right and so he's quoting the prophet but he's not quoting who he took it from so the scholars are of two opinions one is that we can't accept it because he doesn't quote he, who he quotes from the other is that you can't accept it because on the one hand none of his mursal hadiths they're usually they're usually not about fiqh they're about zuhud they're about tafsir or stories or zuhud right a hadith related to that are not necessarily legalistic hadiths secondly they say who did he take from like he's only probably skipping a sahabi right he's probably only skipping a sahabi and therefore it's acceptable so some people there people scholars go two ways on the marasil al-hasan it's a famous theme in a subcategory of study on the uh, uh the, the the hadith of hasan let's hasan al-basri let's read about his death Shahidtu Hassan al-Basri عند موته Abu Tariq al-Sa'di says Yusi faqala likatib He was given, he had a writer and he was dying, he was on his deathbed and he had a writer, he says Uktub hadha ma yashhadu bihi al-Hassan ibn Abi al-Hassan yashhadu anna la ilaha illallah Write down that Hassan, the son of Abu al-Hassan because his father's nickname was Abu al-Hassan Yassar He says that Hassan says la ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah and that whoever truly says this from his heart, he enters paradise. When he was dying, literally the moment of death is coming, he kept saying, Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un. Uh, his son got up and he says, Father, you're worrying us. Why are you saying that? That's what you say that when you say something bad, right? Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un. We see in the disaster. So when your father's saying that on his deathbed, isn't that scary? Right? He said, did you see anything? Right? He said, it's my nafs. I'm afraid. I have not been afflicted with anything like it. Right? So he's like, I'm worried about my nafs. So what is our state with Allah Ta'ala? It's fear and hope. How do you combine fear and hope? They're opposites. It's fear of our sins and hope in Allah's mercy. That's how you combine fear and hope. I'm afraid for my sins, but I hope on my mercy. وَقَالَ رَجُلْ لِبْنِ سِرِينَ رَأَيْتَ كَأَنَّ طَائِرًا آخِذًا الْحَسَنْ حَصَاهُ فِي الْمَسْجِدِ فَقَالَ لَهُ إِبْنِ سِرِينَ إِنْ سُدِّقَتْ رُؤْيَاكَ مَاتَ الْحَسَنْ I saw a bird آخِذًا الْحَسَنْ Taking الْحَسَنْ From the mosque. A bird taking Hassan from the mosque. He said, if it's true, then he died. Right? And very shortly after that, he died. Okay. He died the night between of Friday, meaning between Thursday and Friday. 
as we are today, which is inshallah going to be the latest in this human Chaban. وَغَسَّلَهُ أَيُوبُ وَحُمَيْدُ وَأَخْرَجَ وَأَخْرَجَ حِينَ صَرَفَ النَّاسُ وَزَدَحَمُ عَلَيْهِ and so his janaza was um, after Jum'ah, and then he, which is always the best janaza because it's packed, all right. And and people, the entire city was at the graveyard during Asr to the point that the Jama'ah prayer was not established in the Basra Mosque. The main bus, mosque of Basra, the Jama'ah prayer was not established there because the entire city was at the graveyard burying Al-Hasan Al-Basri. Okay. Um, and he died, Ashra wa Mi'a, the year 110. وَعُمْرُهُ تِسْعَةٌ وَثَمَانُونَ سَنَةٌ He was 89 years old, and some say sit وَتِسْعُونَ Well, you can calculate it. He was born in the 8th year, in the 10th year of the Hijrah, right? And then he died in 110, so then um, he should have been 100 years old, okay? So there's always different on the death dates. وَكَانَ الْحَسْرَ الْبَصْرِ إِلَى جَانِبْ وَرَعِهِ شَجَاعًا زَاهِدًا he, he didn't care about the emirs. So they want him. When people don't care about you, you tend to want them. The dunya is like that. If you don't want what they have, they want you. Okay. And he was extremely sincere to the Muslims, so they loved him. Right? He was sincere in his advice to the Muslims, so they loved him for that reason. So that is the great Hassan al-Basri and, and his story. And... Um, I did say that uh, we will, inshallah ta'ala, be uh, talking about uh, later to Nisfim and Sha'ban today. And we will do that, inshallah ta'ala. Uh, so um, we will do that, bi'idhnillahi ta'ala. And so, but first let's take some comments and questions on Laylat and Nisfim and Sha'ban, Hassan al-Basri. Okay. All the Instagram today post on Laylat and Nisri Min Shaban. So you do not have uh, any doubts about it. You should not have. How could you have doubts? It's straight up a hadith. Okay, here we go. Let's go to the comments. Ryan, why don't you kick us off? Okay, first question. How can we be wise like Hassan al-Basri? Uh, wisdom, according to Sayyidina Ali, is from taqwa. In the sense that the Prophet Sallallahu said, Ask, uh, act upon man amila bima alamnahu hadith qudsi zidnahum in ladunna ilma. Whoever acts upon what we taught him, we increase him knowledge from our own selves. Right? Man amila bima alamnahu zidnahum in ladunna ilma. Whoever acts upon what he does know, okay, we increase him in, we give him from us knowledge. Miladunna ilma means that that is wisdom. That's not book knowledge. You're going to learn something from your action upon knowledge. Something is going to be come to your knowledge that is not something that's textual. And that's the concept and the idea of al-hikmah, wisdom. It's by acting upon knowledge. Allah Ta'ala gives you something that's special from himself. Okay. Uh, next. Uh, by the way, if you wrote something on Instagram, I can't see it because it, it, it sort of uh, logged me out. So please um, write it again. And I'll see it now. If you wrote anything previously on Instagram. Yeah. Can, can a wali be from Ahlul Bid'ah? Can a person who is an innovator 
be a wali of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Well, the answer to that is when we say Ahlul Bid'ah, people of Bid'ah, we're talking about Bid'ah in actions and Ibadah or Bid'ah in um, Aqidah. The answer of Bid'ah in Aqidah, like a sect, then no. No. Because knowledge is one of the conditions and following the sunnah is one of the conditions. If we're talking about bid'ah of action, then we split that up. Is it agreed upon, bid'ah? Then no. A bid'ah in worship that's agreed upon, but if it's a bid'ah in worship that is disagreed upon, like there are many things, in, like in Shafi fiqh, that's a bid'ah in the Maliki Madhab, that's a difference of opinion, right? So that, yes, they can be. If it's a different upon bid'ah of ibadah, in ibadah, or in action, or in contracts or something like that. Those differed upon bid'ah, then yes. I'll give you two examples. Doing qiyam al-layl in a jama'ah, on any night, let's say, let's get together, do a i'tikaf and a salat qiyam al-layl. That's a bid'ah in the Maliki Madhab. You can't do a qiyam al-layl when the Prophet, anytime the Prophet didn't. But the Shafi'i Madhab says it's fine. So it's khilaf, it's a difference of opinion. I'll give you one example in interactions, right? Um, if there is a uh, there's something called as-sadaq al-mu'akhir, the delayed dowry, that means if you divorce me, you have to pay this rest of the dowry. Okay, that's a bid'ah in the Maliki Madhab. It's maybe permissible in the other madhahib. So there is differed upon bid'ah in actions and in contracts and interactions in ibadah, and that's that is fine. Wali could be have have those. Okay, next. Environment plays a vital role, like we saw with Hassan al-Basri. But, however, what if you can't have a beneficial environment? What are you supposed to do? What if you can't have a beneficial environment? Um, I don't like the way that question is phrased, right? The question is phrased, it locks you into a situation that's negative. Who said you can't? The future. You don't know the future. So you have to always constantly hope for a better environment. Make dua for a better environment and take every possible action for a better environment. And in, that's what you do in the meantime while you're in a bad environment. I mean, let's say hypothetically, you get stopped at the airport and get thrown in, in a room, right? And they throw you in this room and you're there for like days and days and days. And you're just sitting there with terrible people who are, you know, you know, just you, you don't want to be there. Okay. Or... You're, you're, you're a young person and you're off uh, to your cousin's wedding and it's just all lahu and lahu and lahu and lahu. You have to fight that with your heart. Allah's testing you. You don't come to the conclusion, I'm stuck, right? That type of built-in conclusion, you're, you're built, it's sort of quietly built into the question or to the premise, then uh, you're going to lose because you built it in. But you say, this is temporary. And in the meantime, I'm going to seek out something better, right? And you're always going to imagine yourself in a better situation. Because when you do that, you are having belief that Allah can create that. You wouldn't imagine something if you didn't believe Allah can create it, right? So you search, sort of just picture yourself being with the salihin, with the good, and finding a way out. And Allah, will, he will bring you a way out because of your iman. Okay? Because of your iman and your, your belief that you'll have a way out, then that's where the ijabah to da'wah comes from. Ibn Omar has a clip where he says that biha ijaba by your persistence upon something and bitta'amul you're constantly thinking about it biha ijaba so if you want something and Allah to answer your dua constantly 
visualize and imagine that. So that's what he says in this little clip, which I listen to like almost every day. By contemplating it, thinking about it. Tasawwur, imagine it in your mind, okay, with and, and insist upon it. By that, Allah answers your prayer because you're showing iman at that time. You're showing faith. You're showing belief, right? Rather than showing that this is it, I'm done, uh, there's no way out, blah, blah, blah. No. Next question, Ryan. How can one abstain from the dunya when you cannot recognize the dunya? How can you abstain from the dunya when you can't recognize the dunya? Well, if you can't recognize the dunya, then because what is dunya? Anything that distracts you from Allah. So you're not going to look at, is this mic dunya? Is this cup dunya? Is this iPad dunya? No, you're going to say to yourself, what is haram and avoid it? And what is distracting me from Allah? And that's a second level of avoidance. If something's distracting you too much from Allah, then it's bad. Okay. A little bit of lahu is acceptable, right? A little bit of uh, uh, lahu is like unwinding yourself. A little bit is fine. But if it's rusting up your heart, then it's too much. Then that's what we call a dunya. Um, quick question. How is the drunk man's dream considered a true dream from Allah when he was in a state of sin and wasn't praying? Uh, Fasiq can get a true dream as a warning. What he won't get until he's a salih is a ru'ya al-bishara. So dreams are of different, the, the true dreams are of two categories. Or I should say three categories. True dreams are of three categories. One is a bishara. Good news. This wonderful thing that you want is going to happen to you in the future. That's the bishara. Lahum al-bushra fil hayat al-dunya. The Prophet said, al-ru'ya salihah lil-rajul salih A beautiful true dream giving him glad tidings of the future for a good man. Then the second one is nidara, a warning. Warning can come from anybody. Musa Fir'aun got a warning, right? And here, Malik ibn Dinar, he got the warning that this is your state right now. So that's not, that dream was not good news. So the good news is only, the, the good news type of dream is that which comes to the righteous person. Non-righteous person, you get a warning. And then the third one is, the the vision of the immediate future that means you see a dream and then you wake up and it happens right there and that could come also to anybody okay i am Maddox says can you put in writing the dua that hassan basri said to al hajjaj okay it's hard for me to write now but i'll tr I'll, I'll try to uh to, to get it for you um brian what you got How can one develop a regular routine of muhasaba? How can you develop a regular routine of muhasaba? Is uh, you can develop this by every night before you sleep, when you put your head on the pillow, you imagine that it's death, that this is it, your last day. And that's actually the nighttime is the best time to to visualize in your mind. This is my last night, right? And the Sahaba they had different routines. Some sahabas, they many, many of the sahabas said, right before we die, uh, sleep, we take account of ourselves. Right? And so that's why it's one of the, because your mind is quieting down, everything's quieting down. As you put your head on the pillow, you imagine that. Okay. Is there a good book in English on the wisdom of Hasabasi? Not that I know of. Is there a dua to recite of, to avoid getting attached to the dunya? Yes. La ilaha illallah. Dhikr of la ilaha illallah cuts between us and the dunya. 
Okay, what is the difference between mubiqat and major sin and kabair? Mubiqat are seven specific sins, and they the tawbah is what's different. It requires hajj or life-altering repentance, whereas the major sins require you to simply think about the sin and intentionally make tawbah from it. Or a regular tawbah, but you're intentionally making tawbah from that sin. All right, next question is by Granddaddy. He says... It was a specific dua. He said, Allah Jalla Jalaluhu, cool the anger of Hajjaj like you cooled the fire of Ibrahim. Yes, I'll, I'll get it for you though. And it, But that's basically essentially what it was. Okay. Nur, Nur Din Abdus Salam or whatever says, um, Nura Addasalus. She says, And also when the former drunk Sahaba dreamt of his daughter saving him and reciting the ayah, then waking up and going to the masjid and hearing the same verse recited. That was Malik ibn Dinar. I don't know about this, that being a Sahabi. Why is the night celebrated? It's not a night of celebration. It's a night of dua. No, we don't, we're not slaughtering animals and eating here. Celebration is slaughtering and eating and sharing food and singing songs. We're not doing that. What we're doing is dua. Qada al-hawa'aj needs and desires and forgiveness we all need serious forgiveness because if you want your dua to be answered in the future don't you need to be forgiven first right you have to respect that so it's a night of ibadah and dua cozy chloe says how do we study about hassan al-basri there's not a lot in english to be honest with you so hey i'm just going to combine it now because he mentioned saviors of islamic spirit is that like the best book okay made? saviors of islamic spirit yeah if it's still in print it does have one yeah that's true. And Yamama says, how do you prevent nightmares after making wudu, reading Ayatul Kursi, three calls, and you still have salawat on the Prophet? That no problem. It just simply means that your um, what is bothering you still outweighs your remembrance. So, the, so your dhikr needs to just become stronger, meaning longer. Can you recite salawat in sujood? Yes, you can. It's not the common practice in sujood, but you can. Dua is the common practice. Okay. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. All right, Ryan, what you got? I guess uh, following up, I'm just wondering, like, what, yeah. if, what if the salawat is infused with the dua like we talked about? Yeah, salawat can be infused with dua, no problem at all. So in sujood, it's, it's cool? Yes, that's right. It's, there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, salawat, in a sense, is a dua. All right, so you want the dua of... Uh, of of Al Hassan Basri, what he said, he said, he said, Ya Wali, Ya Wali, Ya Wali, Ya Nirmati, Ya Wali, Ya Nirmati, Ya Maladi, Inda Kurbati. It's though the one who protects my blessing, which is like life and everything else, he's Wali and Nirma, he's the guardian of my blessings. Wa Maladi, Inda Kurbati. And my refuge in my crisis. Make his anger towards me cool and peaceful upon me. Just as you made the fire cool and peaceful for Ibrahim. That's the dua. I'll say it again. Ya waliya ni'mati wa maladi inda kurbati. I'm going to screenshot it. 
Anything I see that's good online, I screenshot it. Fahd? Fadl, what do you have to say? You have any questions? No, thank you. You good? We have a good one over here. Yep. One of the conditions to be forgiven is removing malice from the heart. Can you please elaborate more specifically on what that, what really that malice means in practicality? Question, what is malice and how do you remove it from your heart? Because that's one of the conditions of Laylatul Nisrim and Shabbat. For our prayers to be answered, which is tonight, make sure. Now, if you're in England, it's already like 7.30, right? This is the time. All the way till Fajr or you sleep a little bit, make sure you get up for Tahajjud. The answer to that is, is malice is a feeling that you have in your heart. You just remove it from your heart. And you ask Allah to remove it from your heart. We can't sometimes control our hearts. We ask Allah by making dua for the person. It's very hard to pray for a person and think about their good qualities. And also, I'll tell you the best way to get malice out of your heart. Think about the problems that this person's going through, right? And our relationship with a person sometimes, it may be uh, in a certain sector of life, okay, like the masjid, let's say, or a school or a workplace, all right? And you don't know about the other sector of life where they're actually miserable. So it may soften your heart towards a person a little bit and realize they're so upset in that sector of life that they're sort of taking it out on another sector of life. That means like, and I remember a situation where a person was bothering another person, like incessantly bothering another person at work. And then somebody says, and they hated this person, but somebody said something so wise. They said, listen, man, calm it down with this person because their domestic life is miserable. They have like in-laws in their house that they need to serve day and night because like they're sick and they're in need like they're doing it willingly but it's a it's it's a miserable existence like you just you come from work you do more work right and then you have the responsibility of, of your kids right and so you can sympathize with the person from that angle yes they may be the devil to you but they're also a victim in another se setting sometimes that's a bra we're brainwashing ourselves here we're sort of rewiring how we think about people all with the intent of cleaning out your heart. These are all methods. They're thinking methods. And it will unlock sympathy. You'll get a wave of sympathy for that person. Now, every time you think about them, think about only how they're suffering, right? And that's how, you know, like a, a lot of people, if you really want a good biography of somebody or really want a, a truth, truthful uh, contemplation of a person, you have to think of all the facets of their life not just one facet of their life. And so sometimes that, that I find that to, to be re really helpful. All right, let's go to Cozy Chloe. Alhamdulillah, thank you very much. And I really am happy that it makes my day when people say things like that. And I take that to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Noora or Noor, because there's a guy in the picture. So he says, being attached from this world will also make us detached from the evil. Yes, because if you detach, most evil is what we call lawazim ad-dunya. Lawazim is necessary connections to the dunya. Right? So if you don't love, if you don't need attention from people, you don't need to do, you won't do a lot of things. Right? But if you crave attention from people, you will do a lot of things and eventually fall into the haram.
So craving people's attention is one of the greatest things of dunya. And isn't this whole world like now just trying to get attention to get famous? Like uh, Plano, Texas and the rapper from Plano, Texas. Do you guys all hear about this guy? Don't even waste your time. He's like a doctor or a nurse or something like that. He comes in scrubs. Sometimes he comes in a suit. And he goes to town halls where he knows that they're recorded. Because all the town meetings of the of of townships are always recorded, right? So he gets he knows that he's getting an audience and a camera. And he goes and he makes his point by rapping it. It's almost so bad, right, that it's catchy, right? You never see something like that's so bad it gets your attention. Right? It's like it's like you had you have a lot of courage, actually. Like you have some guts to be publicly that bad. You actually should be praised for having the courage and the guts to be that bad in public. And so this guy finally, he's been doing it for a while. And finally he got the attention he wanted because he came up with this, this little rap about putting a bullet in Putin's brain. So anyway, uh, someone asked, again, Adizman said, why is it celebrated in Turkey and Pakistan but not in the Gulf? I don't know why they maybe there's they don't believe in uh, Nisra Shaban because it's I don't know what I don't know I can't speak for the Gulf why they why they don't do that. We have a question over here, All right? Related to that one, yeah. So how are we supposed to deal with you know friends, companions who don't believe in the benefits of this blessed night and um, are trying to, to take other people away? If people are not they don't believe in Layla to Nisra and Shaban, it's not up for them to believe it or not. This hadith are right there, right in front of our face, right? It's not up to them to believe in it or not, right? But what they may say that's correct is that there's no specific action on it. And it's not a night of celebration for us. It's night of work. It's 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 a night of celebration from the perspective that what we may earn of this night. But you don't spend this night eating, gathering in a sense of partying in a, uh, like Eid. It's not Eid. It's not a celebration of that respect. You would be wasting your time. It's a night of ibadah and dua and istighfar and tawbah and clearing our hearts from other people's the malice with other people. That's what we should be busy with. So if someone doesn't believe in that, I mean, type, what am I doing wrong? If I, whether it's this night or the next night, even on that perspective. But it's not up for somebody to say it's false. How do you say it's false when we have a hadith that are so many and I've went over them many times. Uh, Adizman is not bothering at all. It's not a bother at all. Okay, next. Is there a specific dua or some awrad to recite to stop caring about other people's opinions? Is there a word to stop caring about other people's Yes, la ilaha illallah. And recitation of Quran will put a barrier between you and the opinions of people. You won't care about them at all. But a follow-up I have, like, do we want to completely not care about people's opinions always? Or is there a use in caring about people's Good point. There is, there is a way in which you should care about people's opinion and a reason. And there is a way in which you shouldn't care about their opinions. Now, how, how do you not care about the opinions? Like, we don't care if we get blamed for doing the right thing. All right. That's the only time where you don't care about people's opinions. You should care about people's opinions if uh, they're telling you that the way in which you express yourself is not good. Because 
we also don't go force feed people the truth, right? If you were to take the nicest chocolate and you were to jam it in someone's mouth and they spit it out and push you away and then you go home saying, I gave people sadaqah and they rejected it, right? No, you didn't do it in the right way. So there is an element to care about people's opinion on the manners by which you act. Do you want to just, do you want to get results or not, right? You want to get results. So you have to actually get a little bit of a feedback on the way in which you do things. So that's one thing where you should care. What's another way that you should care? The customs and the practices of the righteous people in your town, in your area, because you live with them and you need them. We don't have this individualism that I don't care about what anyone says. I'm going to do my thing. Okay, do your thing and be all alone. We exist as human beings. And the Prophet said, People, they live because of other people. Like We live the way we live because someone's putting electricity up. Someone's building the buildings. Someone's transporting the gas. That's on the physical plane. At the emotional plane, we are able to survive because if I have an issue, I have a friend to go to. I have a wife to go to. I have a mom to go to. I have a dad to go to. So you move on with life like that. I have a scholar to go to. I have a pious person to go to. So life can move on because we have all these people supporting us, right? So in the sense that we do live and we need to live with other human beings, we should, the price of that is we should be considerate of their opinions of how things are done, okay, so that we don't go against the jama'ah in that respect. So that's where we should care about people's opinions versus not care about people's opinions. We don't care about people's opinions when it comes to, and, and by the way, that the attitude also may may requ may require some tafsir or a, a breakdown. So I don't necessarily care, meaning I'm not going to change. Okay, someone doesn't like my being a Muslim or wearing hijab or giving talks, whatever. So my saying I don't care is by the meaning of I'm, it's not going to change my opinion. The fact that they like it will not change my course of action. But the attitude of I don't care also is, is in a sense harmful because aren't we people of dawah? So I'm not changing my opinion, but I do care that I want to change their opinion, right? That's the way that we should break down I don't care about their opinion means it's not going to influence me, but I do care about influencing them and, and getting them to change their opinion, all right? So it's not success to me to go halfway and say, okay, well, I'm not going to change, but to have the attitude that guarantees that I will never change them. Because if you have that negative attitude and say, look, I don't care what you think, right? At that point, you pretty much guaranteed you're never going to change them. So you've only gone halfway. That you've 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 solidified yourself, you didn't bend, all right, you didn't break down, but you also guaranteed you're never going to change them. And that's not a good thing. The only time you need to have this tough attitude, well, I don't care what you think, is when they come at you with mockery or an aggression. Then you're you can say, Yeah, well, I don't care what you think, right? You you're returning back their harm with a little bit of a strong reaction. So uh we have to care from the aspect of caring to change their opinion and caring to do dawah, but not necessarily they're, they're liking it or not liking it is not going to affect our course of action. Next question. What do you do to detach your heart from the dunya? 
to detach your heart from the dunya much remembrance of death tonight is laylat al-bara'a or freedom from the fire or laylat al-nisfi min shaban ya faisal bilal he's asking that question um so it is laylat al-nisfi yes and adizman said by celebration i did mean ibadah yes we should do a lot of good deeds in ibadah that is correct Okay, next question. Sobi is asking, what was Imam Malik's outlook on this night? What is Imam Malik's? I don't know. I didn't look up what Imam Malik's commentary is. Well, why don't we look it up now? Uh, well, I'll take the next question while you do that. Someone asked about um, if the hadith regarding this Shaban are daif. They're mixed. Some daif and some stronger than that. Our, our boy Oz asked, where did you get the cloak from? Our Oz? Yeah. Bro, we're raiding the store today. The store, we got cloaks. We got capes. We got hats. A whole new shipment. Okay. Throw me that hat right quick. A whole new shipment of stuff, right? And for the onliners, we're going to put them online. We got this in black, in tan, in red, like the bright, you know, dark red. We got this amazing cloak. The onliners are like, come on, what about us? We're in the process of putting this all on SafinaPress.com. And by the way, if you made an order on Safina Press, uh, they're all being fulfilled now. Alhamdulillah. They're all being fulfilled. That problem was solved. It was like uh, when you're congested. Yeah. And then just like all the boogers. Yeah. All the, everything comes out. Yeah. Um, they support. Okay. They have all the four madhabs have gone to give life by doing good deeds and seek Allah's forgiveness and make dua because Allah says that He gazes upon the creation on the night of Nisf Shaban, and He forgives. This is narrated by Imam Ahmad in his Musnad. And okay, in Sahih in a sound Sahih uh, Senate. That's just some technical. Okay. Many, 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 many ahadith. Okay. Many, many. Raghaba fi qiyami tilka layla. Wajaa fi taji wal ikleel min kutub al malikiya. Raghaba fi qiyami tilka layla. Okay. It is highly. What does it mean that Allah is going to gaze? Isn't He always looking at us? Yes, but it means emphasis, with emphasis on this time. That means more forgiveness, more answering of dua. Okay, so there's not even a discussion. When I go out of the app, the Instagram app, it ends up uh, like killing the app and killing the stream, so I don't see people's comments anymore. Next question. If you if you put in a question in Instagram and I didn't answer it, put it in again. Okay, yes. one um, was from a full hour ago. Mm. They asked, 
is Laylatul Nisrim and Shaban, the night where the Qibla was changed from Beitul Maqdis to Qa'at. No, it, the Qibla was not changed that night, firstly. It was changed in the middle of the day. And I don't know if we have a date for that. We, we do have the month, I'm sure, but I don't know. It's not Nisrim. Are we allowed to fast Friday without fasting Thursday and Saturday? The answer is yes. The Shafi'iyah maybe had said uh, otherwise, she says, but I don't know. But we are allowed to fast in the Madiki Method Friday without fasting Thursday and Saturday. Their Madik was specific that uh, the only reason you do that, you it will be makru, is the element of trying to imitate the Sabbath, which I don't think anyone does. And the way that to, to prove that you're not is to do any work. If you do any work on Friday, then you've nullified imitation of Friday, of Sabbath. Any work, like uh, fixing a screw or moving anything. Just hop turning the, the lights. Huh? Hop in the elevator. Okay. Hop in an elevator. Turn the lights on. Boom. You've negated the Sabbath. So you're not imitating the Sabbath. I don't think any Muslim wants to imitate the Sabbath. Right? It's a miserable thing. Right? Stuck all day. It's dark. Why are you making your life miserable? Okay. So I am medic. He says, I want this cap. I need somebody who has a factory to make us this cap. This is the easiest cap to make. Right? But I need somebody. I want someone to make it like this. Like firm. Fixed fixed okay uh there's no website for it it was made uh it was custom made by uh an older a veteran i shouldn't say older i should say veteran um she's a veteran like what's the word seamstress sewer <laughs> she's a sewer basically for coach right for coach and i was just looking nj hat makers and she came up and she's really good, right? But she sort of got tired of making them, so um, I didn't want to burden her anymore. And I need them. It's. I was very surprising. This is just two pieces of cloth, but people have difficulty making it. Haven't found anyone to make it. If the day I get a, a factory in Pakistan, I make a hundred. A seamstress. That is the name. A seamstress is the technical word. Okay. Did Hassan Basri have brothers and sisters? Not that I know of that were famous, but he may have had brothers and sisters. Is there good bid'ah and bad bid'ah? No, there is obligatory bid'ah. Like what? Having multiple jummahs in the same masjid. Right? That's an obligatory bid'ah because there's no way to uh, for all the people to attend jummah. Is there a, a permissible or recommended or good bid'ah? Yes. Like reciting the Quran, entire Quran in tarawih. That's not a practice of the Prophet or the Sahaba. Is there a permissible bid'ah? Uh, permissible bid'ah would, let me think, using beads it's permissible it's not recommended nor using a subha or using a calculator to collect your zakat one time the guy said um why don't you just calculate why are you calculating your numbers of dhikr on a beat on beads i said when you calculate your zakat do you do it in your head and on number on your fingers or you use a calculator right it's just a calculating device that's all it is what is a discouraged bid'a a discouraged bid'a would be something like um uh what's a bidah makruha give me any uh, something bidah makruha in ibadat uh okay dua in english in salah while capable of making it in arabic in the maliki method that's bidah makruha because the prophet ﷺ did not do that but if the person cannot speak arabic they make dua in arabic uh, in their language, in Salah. That's what we call, but, uh, sorry, if he can speak Arabic, but he still nonetheless makes his dua in English, that would be called bid'ah makruha. Okay? Or, for example, reciting the same surah 
on set prayers. So, so in Asr, I recite Surat al-Nasr and Surat al-Masad. Or in Dhuhr, I recite this. And you stick to that. There's no precedent for it. It's bid'ah makruha. Or, for example, you miss the surah in the second rakah, so you make it up in the third rakah. No, that's makruh. Okay? For you to do. There's no precedent for it. Anything there's no precedent in salah, because salah is very strict. We pray as exactly as the Prophet prayed. It's all bid'ah makruha. Okay? Bid'ah makruha. Bid'ah muharrama, of course, is anything sinful that's mingled into, for example, contracts. Bid'ah muharrama. Or acts of worship that entail something sinful in it. Right? Like, for example, if we were to all get together, men and women, in a in a setting where it's impossible to lower the gaze, but we're doing ibadah, that's bid'ah makruha, right? bid'ah muharrama, because in it is something haram. Okay? So that's how bid'ah has every single category. Are you having a program at the masjid tonight? Yes, come out at Maghrib. Salatul Maghrib. We read the hadith related to um, Laylat al-Nisfim in Shaban. Okay. Hbaz, alhamdulillah, I really appreciate what you're saying. Thank you so much for saying that. Cozy Chloe says, are you Egyptian? My parents came from Egypt, yes. I have mixed feelings towards Egypt. Like it's amazing history and everything. And by the way, no one's truly Egyptian. It's all immigrants. Right? It's like almost all immigrants. Like like for example, my my mother could probably trace her lineage to another country. My father's side they trace they can trace their lineage to another country. But for the last 3 4 maybe 2 3 4 generations it's been, been Egypt. So we don't know any other country as a source of ethnicity and origin. It's just Egypt, New Jersey. That's it. I have mixed feelings because the history is amazing. The spirit of the people, to me, was amazing. I don't know what it is now. But I cannot stand uh, pollution. Like Pollution does not come like pollution on the ground. It doesn't come from anything other than your willingness and acceptance of pollution. Right? Like, why? I, I took a, 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 the, the, the ride from Cairo to Dumyat one time. Four hours, I think. The entire, I did a survey, the entire highway. You could not see the curb, litter, 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 litter. That stuff, it makes me sort of crazy. And then that's, oh, you get used to it. I don't want to get used to it. We're not supposed to be getting used to dirtiness, right? I don't want to get used to that stuff. But it, nonetheless, it has such an amazing history. And a dua to increase memory. Hmm. Is there a dua to increase memory? Yes, there is. Recite often Surat Al-Alaq. Because in it is the verse, We will recite it unto you in a way that you will never forget. So recite often Surat Al-Alaq. Is it true that Yaseen can be recited to fulfill one's dua? Yaseen and any other, and Fatiha more often, even more. Fatiha for... Because there is a famous hadith, Prophet said the hadith Qudsi, Allah says, the Fatiha, I split it with my servant. And just to give you the brief summary of the Fatiha, the first three verses are praises of Allah. The other three are our commitment to Allah and a dua, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about it, for my abd is whatever he wants. So that's why we recite Fatiha at the end of a dua. 
is it permissible to listen to Quran while working out? I would say no. That's too much. Dhikr, yes, but Quran, no. Unless it's just walking. Running, no. But walking, yeah. Because walking is it's automatic. There's no effort into it, and there's nothing like sweating and all that. When will be coming to the UK? Uh, we got to come to the UK eventually. Well, um, I got to come to the UK, inshallah. Next time I'm coming to the UK, I'm going to go to London. I went to Birmingham. What's the point? They got a million scholars there, right? I mean, I guess we'll go visit them. Uh, can Madikis eat dogs? Makru. All right, one more question. Is there a book club for women? There was, unless you want to lead it. If you want to lead it, uh, because our sister who was leading it, she wasn't able to continue. She is an English professor. But, Kim, if you want to lead the book club for ArcView, send us a message and we could start it, right, leading the book club because that sister, she couldn't continue. Cozy Chloe says, litter is gross. Unfortunately, non-Muslims are way... It's, it's a shame. It's a shame that I can go to the Scandinavian countries, the European countries, and they're clean. And I'm going to come to... Okay, a Muslim country, nine out of ten is going to be filled with filth. I don't want excuses. Litter and cleanliness is an ethic. It's an ethic. I'm not going to believe otherwise. Yes, people do have a little downward spiral and a depression, and there comes a point where you can't you know, transform your whole country, but you can transform your street. Like the door in front of me, I could try, you know, do that. And if I did that and you did that and everyone else did that, you have a clean town, right? If someone wants to get a specific dua answered, should you just recite Surah Al-Fatiha? Fatiha. And mingle it with Salah on the Messenger, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And don't just rely upon one dua. Repeat your dua nonstop. Knowing is going to happen. Because that's a shart. That's a precondition of dua from the Prophet, Sallallahu I heard one should recite Surah Al-Duha for lost objects. That's correct. Um, Surah Al-Muzzammil for marriage. Really, truly, any ibadah that you want, you show your sincerity to Allah. That's it. Lily Shire says, Merchandise, is it permissible to have an Islamic quote on a t-shirt and sell it like a hadith? I don't like that because you have to go to the bathroom, to be honest with you. Right? You have to go to the bathroom with it. And it's going to go into the laundry. It's going to go with, with like underwear in the laundry. I don't understand people who put ayats of Quran, taqwa, Allah. Explain something to me. When you take your shirt off, where are you putting it? Putting it with your underwear filled with your najasa. This is haram. Are you hand washing this thing? You're putting it in the laundry. Then it's going to go mix up in the washing machine. Have some respect. You don't put hadith and dua and dhikr. On T-shirts and on clothing. Bid'a muharrama. <laughs> it's bid'a makruha until you put it into the washing machine or the laundry basket with your filthy socks. That that moment it becomes bid'a muharrama and you're sinful for it. And you should get lashes. What is the right way to ask dua? And what should we do so Allah answers our dua? You should first believe so much in his generosity. As a precondition, believe so much that he is willing to give and capable of giving. Okay, that's the first precondition. You go on from there. Bid'a, what about Muslims that put up Ramadan moon trees to imitate Christmas trees? That's bid'a pathetic, right? <laughs> the ruling on that is you are pitiful. That's how 
Now, here's I don't want to offend any friends who may have done that, but bid'ah, makru, haram. This now you add a new category bid'ah, pathetic inferiority complex. What is wrong with you to put up a tree that doesn't even exist because the kuffar put up a tree? You want to put up a tree. By the way, you don't only imitate kuffar, you only imitate the, the, the European kuffar. The Chinese and the, the Mexicans and the, have a lot of other holidays. I never saw you imitating them. You're only imitating the European because they, they whipped you in the wars in the last 500 years, so you love them. That's, just, that's a simple fact. They whipped you. They whipped your grandfather. Their grandfathers whipped our grandfathers. That's the truth. So you love them, right? And maybe you love their white skin. A lot of people doing stuff, and I didn't see you imitating them. Only imitating the Western Europeans. All right, we have an important question here. Important question. Go ahead. Is hijab compulsory in Islam? Is hijab compulsory? The answer is yes. In Surah Tanur and also Ijma and also the behavior of all the Sahabiyats and their daughters. What is, what, they, they said that um, the Indian court recently gave the verdict saying that it's not necessary. It's not obligatory. Well, the Indian court has nothing to do with us. Yeah. Indian court, you know, they could they, they have... You know, their basis of making law is whatever it is. It has nothing to do with this. Yeah, they're trying to ban it. They, they, they want to wage war against us. What do we expect? They're mushrikeen. We curse all their gods in the sense that we don't believe in them, right? Of course, they want to, they, they're our enemies. What do we expect? Let's have some common sense, right? They are our enemies. They are. At least that band of them, that group of them, right? Um. Nura Dessalu, she says, not my grandfather. She must be a convert then. Yeah, my grandfathers weren't whipped by, by their grandfather. That's true, right? The best people to do dawah are the people who are the sons of the location, right? The sons and daughters of that, that people, those people. Uh, how do you suggest purifying clothes with najasa? My concern is mixing it with other clothes in the washing machine. No problem that you could just put it in there. The water will rinse it all out. Pure water in the beginning, pure water in the end. And it will all clean out. You're you're good to go. Can the Mahdi be a non-Arab? He may Allahu Alam. He may have mixed of non-Arab and Arab. Allahu Alam. But he will be an Arab from Quraysh. But he could doesn't mean that one of his mothers or forefathers or, or grandmothers was not outside of Arabia. Okay. All right. One more question related to today's topic. What do you got? Okay. This is. Uh... This is an action item for everybody. Um, what can you suggest du'as and actions for tonight? Suggested du'a and action for tonight. Let me go to the book and I'm going to read you exactly the du'a. So pay attention. Screen grab this if you want to so that you can you can hear it here. And uh, you can recite this du'a. It's the du'a of Sayyidina Abdullah bin Masood. If my, my thing... Uh, yeah, you see, this iBooks is, is stubborn. Sometimes it opens, sometimes it doesn't. Let's see if I saved it as a picture. Yeah, this iBook is really frustrating. Let's see. Okay, here it is. And I shared it on my Instagram page. All right. Allahumma ya manni la yumannu alayh. Oh Allah, he is the one who, uh, he bestows... Yo, could you reconnect the stream? Yeah, yeah. I don't know what happened. Sometimes it just logs out. But let's just go for the rest of everybody else. The one who can boast about our gift, about giving, okay, and he and nobody else can boast. 
وَيَاذَا الْجَلَالِ وَالْإِكْرَامِ O of majesty and munificence or generosity. يَاذَا الطُّولِ وَالْإِنْعَامِ The great giver okay, of blessings. لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا أَنْتَ There's none, no Lord but you. ظَهْرَ اللَّاجِئِينَ The source of everyone who... Good. The source of everyone who is seeking help. وَجَارَ الْمُسْتَجِيرِينَ وَأَمَانَ الْخَائِفِينَ The succor of those who are afraid. All right, we got cut off for Instagram. Oh, you have to hit the live button. Just hit the live button. اللهم إن كنت كتبتني عندك في أم الكتاب شقيا فمه عني اسمي اسمي اسم الشقاوة. Oh Allah, if you have written me in your book, in your destiny, okay, as miserable, then wipe away my name from the miserable. وَأَثْبِتْنِي عِنْدَكَ سَعِيدًا And make me amongst you, amongst the happy. وَإِنْ كُنْتَ كَتَبْتَنِي عِنْدَكَ فِي أُمِّ الْكِتَابِ مُحَرَّمًا It should be محروماً محروماً مُقَتَّرًا عَلَى رِزْقِي Or uh, the, the, the writing is wrong actually here in what I'm reading here. محروماً مُقْتِرًا عَلَى رِزْقِي I'm deprived and my risk is shrunk. فَمْحُ حِرْمَانِي وَيَسِّرْ رِزْقِي Erase my being deprived and make my rizq easy. وَأَثْبِتْنِي عِنْدَكَ سَعِيدًا مُوَفَّقًا لِلْخَيْرَاتِ And make me أَثْبِتْنِي عِنْدَكَ Confirm me amongst you, with you, as someone given tawfiq to the good and happy. فَإِنَّكَ تَقُولُ فِي كِتَابِكَ الَّذِي أَنْزَلْتْ You say in your book that you have brought down, يَمْحُ اللَّهُ مَا يَشَاءُ وَيُثْبِتْ وَعِنْدُهُمُ الْكِتَابِ Allah wipes what he wants and he keeps what he wants and with him is the Umm al-Kitab. إلهي بالتجلي الأعظم في ليلة النصف من شهر شعبان المكرم التي يفرق فيها كل أمر حكيم ويبرم نسألك أن تكشف عنا من البلاء ما نعلم وما لا نعلم وما أنت به أعلم إنك أنت الأعز الأكرم وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم So repeat this dua and inshallah ta'ala we will close with that and you can go to mbic.org and you can log into tonight's program where we're going to repeat this dua again inshallah ta'ala subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik nashadu an la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruk wa natubu ilayk wal asr inna al-insana lafi khusr illa al-ladhina amanu wa aminu salihat wa tawasubu al-haq wa tawasubu al-sabr wassalamu alaykum